This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... How we can partner with institutions, with educational institutions, uh, with... Uh, the, the tech sector and digital, digital um, sector to support these, um, the youth on the continent who are more connected and capable uh, than ever to meet the challenges um, of, of this generation. Dana Banks, Special Assistant to the U.S. President and Chair of the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit on one of the major focuses of next week's meetings. Details coming up also. South Africa's parliament will vote next week on whether President Cyril Ramaphosa should face an impeachment inquiry. Rwanda says the international community is worsening the conflict in the eastern DRC. And Morocco, Africa's last hope at the World Cup, is playing Spain right now. We'll have these stories and more on African News Tonight. But first, our top story. In South Africa, members of parliament will vote next week on whether President Cyril Ramaphosa should face an impeachment inquiry, which could result in his removal from office. This after an independent panel, including two judges, found he could be guilty of criminal conduct and violating the Constitution in connection with the theft of at least $580,000 from his ranch in early 2020. Ramaphosa's contesting the findings in court. Darren Taylor has more. The source of the mounting evidence against Ramaphosa is Arthur Fraser, South Africa's chief of police intelligence under former President Jacob Zuma. Ramaphosa ousted Zuma as African National Congress ANC leader in late 2017. In so doing, the anti-apartheid unionist-turned-super-rich businessman set himself up to become president a few months later. Ramaphosa promised to end the rampant government corruption that characterized the Zuma era and to rid the ANC of officials he referred to as criminals. The president bolstered investigative agencies and several top ANC members have been arrested and charged with financial crimes. But Fraser's information suggests Ramaphosa himself is a crime boss, continually bringing vast amounts of dollars illegally into South Africa and laundering it. The president's supporters say he's being set up by a faction in the ANC loyal to Zuma. This group wants Ramaphosa out, they say, so it can continue looting the public purse. Julius Malema of the Economic Freedom Fighters is leading an alliance of opposition parties trying to get Ramaphosa impeached. At a media briefing yesterday, Malema said he was confident this would happen, as even some ANC MPs wanted Ramaphosa out. The numbers look good. If the DA stops some assaulting and comes clear and says we are voting for the panel's report, all of the opposition is consolidated. Analysts say Ramaphosa will be impeached if the biggest opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, the DA, together with other smaller parties and some ANC MPs, vote for the process. But it's a big if. The ANC, no matter how riven it is, usually votes as a bloc in Parliament. 
it would be unprecedented if any governing party MPs voted to oust their leader. And the DA's clearly worried about who would replace Ramaphosa, evident in a recorded statement from its leader, John Stiernhuizen. If President Ramaphosa is recalled now, we'll end up with a corrupt President Mabuza. If President Ramaphosa survives until the elective conference but is defeated then, we could end up with a corrupt President Mkhize. The ANC holds its elective conference in less than two weeks. There, Zweli Mkhize, fired by Ramaphosa as health minister for allegedly stealing millions of rands of COVID-19 funding, will try to oust Ramaphosa as ANC leader. Another potential Zuma replacement is his deputy, David Mabuza. Known as DD in political circles, Mabuza's been implicated in organized crime for decades, but he's never been charged, and, like Nkize, denies all allegations against him. Despite Stienhazen's misgivings, Malema's confident he'll persuade the DA to vote to impeach Ramaphosa. Just be ready. Tighten your seatbelt. We are likely to eat beetroots Christmas Day with DD as a president. As you are having your seven colors, DD will be delivering a Christmas message. Stiernazen, though, told citizens in his message there's another option. And that option is for a simple majority of 50% plus one of the National Assembly, your representatives, to vote for the dissolution of government, which would then trigger an early election. The latest polls say that's an election the ANC would lose. Given that, say analysts, the DA has no chance of mustering enough support in Parliament to dissolve government because it would need some ANC MPs to effectively vote themselves out of a job. Most analysts are also convinced the ANC will stand behind Ramaphosa next week to protect him from possible impeachment and that he'll triumph at the ANC conference to continue leading South Africa. They say only criminal charges will end Ramaphosa's reign at this stage. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. South Africa's official statistics agency says the country's economy has rebounded with its size exceeding pre-COVID levels. Stats SA says in the three months leading into September, gross domestic product grew by 1.6%. The French news agency AFP notes that several sectors contributed to the growth, including agriculture, transport and manufacturing. The country's statistics agency says the economy also benefited from an increase in exports and government consumption. AFP says GDP returned to its pre-pandemic size in the first quarter of 2022, though some of the gains were erased by national power cuts and flooding in KwaZulu-Natal province. Next week, dozens of leaders from African nations will be in Washington for the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit. A few days ago, my colleague Vincent Macori sat down with Dana Banks, special assistant to the president and chair of the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit. They discussed the goals of the summit and the major issues facing the U.S. relationship with African governments. In this excerpt from their conversation, Banks starts by talking about the role of the African diaspora community at the summit. So the Diaspora Forum, if uh, you're familiar with the strategy towards sub-Saharan Africa that was released earlier this year, 
Um, and again, many of the, the elements and themes of the strategy are going to be reflected in the summit. Uh, and so one uh, new area that we are focusing on, but a critical area, I think, uh, not just for, uh, for foreign policy, but also to acknowledge the shared cultural um, and historical uh, backgrounds that, that we share because of our diaspora community here in the United States and the strength of that community in uh, reinforcing the bonds between the continent and the United States. Uh, and so uh, the, the summit will actually kick off with um, a Diaspora Young African Leaders Forum uh, that will be held at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Uh, and it really will be focusing on how we can partner, how the United States can partner to support the youth. We always talk about this large uh, youth demographic on the continent, but how we can partner with institutions, with educational institutions, uh, with uh, the, the tech sector and digital, digital um, sector to support these, um, the youth on the continent who are more connected and capable uh, than ever to meet the challenges um, of, of this generation. Mm. Now, I hear there, there's going to be a business forum. Correct. Uh, what do you expect to achieve with this and who's going to attend? So the business forum um, is also, I think, a hot ticket. <laughs> but um, the business forum is acknowledgement, again, um, what you will see throughout uh, the summit reflected are the voices of um, various stakeholders who we consulted in this process of putting uh, the summit together. So whether it's the private sector or civil society or the diaspora or, of course, the African diplomatic corps and our African partners. But what we heard very clearly from our African partners and also from the private sector is, we, that from the private sector, we want to invest more on the continent. Mm -hmm. And from our African partners is, how do we get more investment? So the business forum, the entire day, is dedicated to talking about some key areas, our overall trade and investment uh, posture, but also, and how we strengthen that, but also areas in, in such as agribusiness, uh, infrastructure and energy sector, as well as uh, digital economy and how we support that. Uh, and bringing in the private sector, and then we as the U.S. government being the conveners, using the tools that we have to support greater investment, whether it's through financing or credit or, uh, or risk guarantees, uh, and so how we use our uh, departments and agencies, um, for example, that comprise Prosper Africa. Hmm. Prosper Africa, 17 U.S. government departments and agencies uh, from the Commerce Department, uh, Export-Import Bank, Development Finance Corporation, uh, Millennium Challenge Corporation, and others, uh, U.S. Trade and Development Association, uh, 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 Association, but how we bring all of these uh, uh, tools together from the U.S. government uh, to support greater trade investment mm -hmm. across the continent. And really, the, the really exciting thing about it is that we um, had extend, have extended invitations to uh, not just American uh, CEOs, but also African CEOs, again, to foster and create greater linkages and opportunities mm -hmm. for uh, investment on the continent. That was Dana Banks, the U.S. Chair for the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit. She was speaking with Africa 54 Managing Editor Vincent McCory. We'll have more of their discussion tomorrow. For more on the summit, please take a look at voaafrica.com and stay tuned to all your favorite VOA programs for coverage. You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington.
Rwanda says the international community is worsening the conflict in eastern DRC, where M23 rebels are fighting government forces. According to the French news agency AFP, Foreign Minister Vincent Biruta, in a statement called Diplomatic Efforts, a Wrong and Misguided Approach that Include External Interference and Dictates that are Undermining Regional Efforts to Calm the Situation. His comments follow a call from U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Rwandan President Paul Kagame on Saturday and the killing last week of 300 civilians attributed to the M23 in a village in North Kivu province. Blinken said Rwandan support to M23 rebels must end. Biruta said the discussion had been good, though differences in underlying understanding of the issue remains. Rwanda denies supporting the M23, though Biruta says Rwanda's security concerns must be addressed, including the DRC-based FDLR rebel group that spitted against Kigali. The UN Refugee Agency warns humanitarian conditions are deteriorating for tens of thousands of Somalias in Kenya's Dadaab refugee camp as unrelenting drought grips the Horn of Africa and funding dries up. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. More than 80,000 Somalis fleeing conflict and drought have arrived in Kenya's Dadaab refugee camps over the past two years, more than 24,000 since September. This is exacting an enormous burden on the local communities and refugees already living in the camps, which house an estimated 230,000 refugees. The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, reports refugees, especially those who have arrived since the end of September, are in urgent need of assistance. It says shelter for the new arrivals is running out. This is forcing many to live in makeshift shelters with limited or no access to clean water and sanitation. To make matters worse, UNHCR spokesman Boris Cheshyakov says a cholera outbreak at the end of October has infected more than 350 people, mainly children. He says the spread of cholera is declining thanks to the efforts of health partners. However, the risk of further infection remains. UNHCR is providing new arrivals to the DAB with clean drinking water and extending sanitation and hygiene facilities to the outskirts of the camps. We are also providing targeted protection services for the most vulnerable to ensure their needs are met. Malnourished children are being screened and admitted to stabilization centers. He notes the UNHCR also is assisting nearby host communities. It is rehabilitating boreholes, providing generators for water pumps and trucking in water, while tending to the immediate needs of the refugees and local populations. He says the UNHCR and Kenyan government are seeking long-term solutions for this intractable problem. Kenya has been hosting more than half a million refugees and asylum seekers in Dadaab and Kakuma refugee camps and urban areas for over three decades. This is the second largest number in Africa after Ethiopia. Cheshikov says neither voluntary repatriation to Somalia nor resettlement in third countries of asylum are viable solutions currently. What uh, we are focusing on now is to find ways for refugees to become self-reliant in Kenya. And that includes through education, through vocational training, and through access to financial services so that people can start businesses, 
um, so that uh, uh, they have a, a, a prospect as a longer-term solution is found to their plight. In the meantime, the UNHCR warns its life-saving operations for more than 257,000 drought-affected people in Kenya is foundering for lack of financial support. It notes only half of an appeal issued in June for $11.1 million has been met. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Scores of Cameroonians with physical disabilities have petitioned the government for better representation in public office and political parties. Meeting in the capital Yaoundé ahead of the International Day of Disabled Persons, activists say parties resist fielding disabled candidates. They also say not a single disabled person is in parliament or the president's office, as Moki Edwin Kindeka reports from Yaoundé. People with disabilities in Cameroon say they are dissatisfied with the exclusion they face in politics. They blame their absence from parliament and government and their negligible representation in local councils on what they call a lack of political will to put those with disabilities in public office and political parties. Samuel Nyincho, who has impaired vision, says the opposition Social Democratic Front rejected his request to run for local council in Tuba, an English-speaking northwestern town. Nyincho says he was told that visual impairment hinders the ability to contribute to development. The national chairman of the Social Democratic Front gave me a test to ascertain whether I was able to read and write and was equally able to engage in community work. That test I passed, then was given the opportunity to enroll as a councillor. But Nincho says after he registered, his candidacy was again rejected. Others with visual impairment began strict protest, and the party finally accepted his candidacy, he said. The Social Democratic Front says that since his election in 2013, Nincho has been an exemplary council member helping the community to build roads and to provide electricity and water. Nincho is one of only 12 councillors with disabilities in Cameroon out of some 12,000 nationwide. Not a single member of Parliament's 280 members has a disability and only one of the country's 372 mayors. Activists meeting Friday ahead of the International Day of Disabled Persons petitioned the government for more representation of people with disabilities. 32 leaders of associations of people with disabilities signed the petition. Coco Bertin is the founder of the Club for the Rehabilitated Young Blind People of Cameroon. He says he signed because there is no reason qualified and educated people with disabilities should be denied better representation in public office and political parties. He says more opportunities for those with disabilities would reduce or end the traditional belief that people with disabilities are a curse to their communities or victims of ancestral punishment for wrongdoing. Coco says Cameroon will not be a country that ensures inclusion and equality of opportunity 
if people with disabilities are discriminated against. Douglas Achingale has a disability that forces him to work with crutches. President Paul Beer appointed him Deputy Director General of the National Rehabilitation Center for Persons with Disabilities in 2020. Achingale says the disabled want to see exclusion stopped in schools. There are official texts which give children with disabilities some exclusive advantages during the admission in public schools. However, many educational authorities refuse categorically to respect these texts. The process to render public buildings accessible to persons with disabilities is slow, very slow indeed. The government says it has taken note of the plight of people living with disabilities. Pauline Irengene is Cameroon's Minister of Social Affairs. La lutte contre les exclusions sociales est une priorité. Nous sommes engagés. She says Cameroon considers the fight against all forms of social exclusion as one of its immediate priorities. Ngene says there is an ongoing advocacy with political parties, NGOs, and the government for social exclusion to end. The United Nations proclaimed the International Day of Persons with Disabilities in 1992 to mobilize support for the inclusion of persons with disabilities and promote awareness raising about disability issues. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. And in World Cup highlights, at this moment in Qatar, Morocco, the last African team in the World Cup, is battling with Spain. Neither team has scored yet. And later today, Portugal and Switzerland face off in the last match of the round of 16. Yesterday, Croatia knocked Japan out in the round of 16 play with a 1-1 tie, and Brazil sent South Korea packing 4-1. Brazil's fans were celebrating in Qatar yesterday, and VOA's Sunday Shomari and Kali Abdu were there for the excitement. This fan tells Sunday he's confident about Brazil's chances. My name is Ahmed. The game is amazing tonight. So I think Brazil is one of the stronger teams. We obviously destroyed South Korea, so I think we're going to win the World Cup once we move on. What are the chances on the final? Who's going to play the final with Brazil if you ask what you think? Uh, that's hard to say. Either Brazil, France, Argentina, they're all strong teams. Yeah. But Brazil's definitely making the final. And these two Brazil fans think Brazil will be in the final, but they are not sure who they'll face. Very happy today. Very happy. All the way to the World Cup. Neymar is back. No more injury. The leg is perfect. Wrapped up. Ready for World Cup glory. Okay, I see in the background people saying about Messi. What do you think they mean? It's the little win they can have today before they lose against Brazil. <laughs> and, that uh, is all. That is all. <laughs> okay, and uh, one thing I want to know also, last thing. Tell me about the prediction. Who is going to play the final with Brazil? I think France. England and 6-0. Can that happen? Is England uh, England or France? After today, the teams heading into the quarterfinals get a break for a few days. Quarterfinal matches begin Friday.
Catch up on the latest World Cup news on voaafrica.com slash World Cup and stay tuned to all your favorite VOA programs, including the sunny side of sports. And don't forget to look for our World Cup podcast on gold with Sonny and Mokbeel. We'll have an update on today's action on African News Tonight at 1800 UTC with Sonny Young. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Uhi in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbeel Yabaro, and our engineer, Joe Gill, Thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Music